God found Israel in a wild land, in a howling desert wasteland. He protected him, cared for him, watched over him with his very own eye. Like an eagle protecting its nest, hovering over its young, God spread out his wings, took hold of Israel, carried him on his back. Yeah, those are all the key pieces, right? The saving act of Yahweh, how Yahweh discovers us in this you know, place where we're lost, the wild land, howling desert. But it's this gracious, caring protection and, and grace that comes. It's personal, right? And, and we see imagery of a mother with its children, an eagle protecting its nest, hovering over the young. We see this sense of God's action, God's providence, that it's actually God that takes hold. It's actually God that carries us. So that is a, that's kind of the key things we see in these in the meta narrative, but then even in these stories as they're told in these great hymns. Reaching from way down here. Welcome to Thread a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Thread Podcast with your hosts, Dave Pochter, and I am Hannah D'Souza, and we are happy to have you back with us. I'm glad you weren't put off by my accent in the earlier episodes, with you're still here. And in our first episode, we introduced the podcast as being about story and spirituality. And these next two episodes, we're going to go into these concepts a bit deeper. So next week, we'll be looking at spirituality, what is it, why we have chosen that as the lens through which we are going to be looking through in this podcast. But this week we are looking at story. And as we mentioned before, my background is in literature. So I love stories and have studied the way stories, the stories we tell speak to and help shape our identities, cultures, and core values, and just the power that they have. There's an old Native American proverb that says, Tell me the facts and I'll learn. Tell me the truth and I'll believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. We really are shaped by stories. We all have a personal story. And often when we meet new people or move to a new place, we're called upon to tell our stories. Even for me, starting this new program last year, I was making a lot of introductions and found myself daily talking about where I'm from, my heritage, my dad being Caribbean, my mom being English, and me growing up in London, and how that's shaped who I am and led me to the place I'm in today. Henry Louis Gates Jr. is actually a professor at Harvard and has this series called Finding Your Roots, which I love. He kind of helps celebrities get in touch with their origin stories, and it's moving to see them find out that they're part of a bigger story and to watch them be introduced to their ancestors that they didn't know about, but whose lives and actions have kind of shaped the trajectory of their own lives. But we also have spiritual stories, how and when we came to know God, or our testimony, as we often hear it called in church circles, and the good and bad experiences that led us to God. And often within that 
story is our relationship to a particular faith community that we have encountered at some point and has helped shaped us. Actually, our churches and faith communities have their own stories too. My uh, brother-in-law was at our house last week and he was telling me that someone at work had asked him about his faith and what church he attended. And when my brother-in-law told him the name, he said, oh, I've heard of it. Is that the good one or the bad one? And he was like, probably a bit of both, <laughs> which I think speaks to the complexities of the stories that we're part of too. I mean, our personal and collective stories are the parts we love to share and the parts we're not proud of or even ashamed of or would rather not talk about. Um, and as we go into kind of the idea of the Bible being not just a, a story, but our story, I see more than ever, especially among my generation, but probably yours too, I imagine, Dave, there is a need to find ourselves in it. And for this to be the story that best informs our core values and identity over any other story we, we tell about ourselves. Yeah, that's true. So this really is what our podcast is trying to do. And I love how you talk about the intersection of story and where even the way you tell your story as you meet new people, that's a big part of this, how our story moves in and out of other people's stories and where those connect and how they're woven together, which, you know, if people haven't picked up the reason we're calling our podcast Thread is <laughs> the way it weaves together. It all weaves together. And that's the whole, that's the exciting adventure of this. When we think of God's story and how God desires to weave us into his story, God's love and his desire for intimacy with us, his desire to have presence in our life. And that constant pursuit that God makes with us and his grace as he pursues us, which really is the big picture of the story. So when we think about this, and I, I love that this is the two areas that we focus on, Hannah, or at least in our, our studies, you, your, let's remind our listeners, what was your master's degree at Oxford Victorian in? Literature. Ask me about it at any point. Victorian <laughs> literature. Little did you know that you would have a whole podcast that you're going to be talking about story when you were studying Victorian literature. That's fantastic. And, you know, of course, for me, it's spirituality. And so it's a really good intersection for us to, to process this. So I know we'll talk about spirituality a lot in the next episode, but just to understand even how it directly connects into story, you know, spirituality is how we experience God, how we experience the world, how we experience our faith community. And that is our story. Right. That, as you just said, our faith story directly connects with that, uh, our spirituality. So, where a lot of our listeners probably find themselves, and I know I find myself at 54 years old, having been part of this faith tradition for over 30 years that I'm part of, it's how we process our story that really dictates our future path. Right. There's this, I think you've read this book by Sarah Clarkson, This mm. Beautiful Truth. Yes. Did you, you read that book? It. It's great. Yeah. Really great book. She had this comment in her book. She says, when you have known such beauty and felt such horror, what story do you tell when both are done? And the reason I really like that is that's my relationship with the church, the faith community, Christianity. I have felt such beauty and I have felt mm. such horror. <laughs> <laughs> 
And <laughs> the question is, what story are we going to tell when we kind of move forward? So how do we orient ourselves and posture ourselves? How do we think about it? That's our theology. How do we live it? That's our spirituality. So this idea of stories all through scripture, of course, and we'll unpack that a little bit today. There's this great psalm in Psalm 107, Hannah. I think you were going to read that for us. Yeah. Could you read that Psalm 107 In for verse us? one, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Yeah, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. It's one thing we actually do pretty well as far as we tell a part of our story really well. We're good at telling our conversion story. And that's, there's power in our conversion story, how that saving moment, that, that radical reinterpretation of the, of the way we experience the world, which is great. But there's way more to our story than just our conversion. And one of the things I hope that people get out of this podcast is seeing the need to tell more of their story, but that our story needs to have life to it in the way that we engage the world around us. And I hope that's a lot of what happens from this podcast, that people really learn how to integrate their story even better. Because when that happens, it changes everything. Our view of God, our view of ourselves, how we see people, what we value, what we choose to spend our time and resources on. When we tell the right story for ourselves, it really shapes us. It shapes our spirituality. So there's this other great passage Jesus talks about in Luke 11, where he talks about the eyes. And eyes always represent something fascinating in the New Testament. It's how we see something. Hannah, could you read that one, Luke 11, 34 for us? Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. So Jesus is telling us how we see the world affects our inside life, our internal life. So if we see our story as positive, as immersed in God, as the way that God wants us to tell the story, as loved created beings, as you know, co-partners or co-regents on this planet, then it fills our body with light. And when our eye is bad, when we see the world in a negative way, it's amazing how it corrupts us internally. So there's a really neat book that, you know, there's a lot of books we've been referring to or at least researching as we're getting ready for this podcast. One that I've been looking at is by Brad Kell. He tells, he has this book called Telling the Old Testament Story. And he says, telling a story can give people a new way of understanding their life. And that's why I think we tell kids stories my two and a half year old granddaughter now, she's like every night she goes to bed, she's like, she wants to hear a story. And, you know, it's kind of intimidating. Like, how do I make up a story? And she was over here the other night and I just, I was laying down with her and telling her this story to tie in the day and how she was viewed and how she was loved. And, you know, that's, that's the power of story. It actually guides an understanding of our life. So it's, it's really important. And it's the reason why I think on this podcast, our goal is to really guide people to know and understand and internalize God's story and how God wants us to see the world. And the hope in all that is that it's going to provide healing and hope and direction for people mm-hmm. in their life. 
Yeah, on the topic of books, I recently read The Epic of Eden, which is another one I'd recommend by Sandra Richter, who is an Old Testament scholar. And she also talks about this idea of the Bible as a great narrative, beginning in a garden, ending in a garden from Eden to the New Jerusalem. And she says, we are Abraham's offspring and his story is our story. And she goes on to say that we all know that we've succeeded in kind of crossing the barrier between kind of our culture and their culture when, and she writes here, you can see your own rebellion in Adam's choice, recognize your own frailty in Abraham's doubting, and hear the hope of your own salvation in Moses' cry, let my people go. And this idea of these stories being an invitation to us to enter actually into them and not just be a story about other people we read about, but these are our 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 ancestors too and part of our lineage that is the power of this this library of books that we have that we call the bible and i think that's one of the most remarkable things about the bible that the whole bible i mean you can look at it as as a library it's a collection of 66 different books we know it was composed by at least 40 different composers and so you have all these components written over thousands of years but it tells this meta narrative, this big picture narrative. And that big picture narrative is consistent from start to finish. So when we look at that meta narrative, as you just described in that quote, from garden to garden, I love that. Gardens always represent intimacy in the Bible. So we start in this intimate space with God, we end in this intimate space with God. But when we look at these 66 different books, one of the things that I know you you come across a lot in your work as a literature scholar is there's a lot of different kinds of genres of literature. Could you maybe just give us a couple statements on what a genre is? Like what is a literature genre? Okay, well, we have narrative, there's poetry. I know there's kind of at least in the Bible there's proverbs, there's kind of wisdom literature and I think it's important talking about genre because, of course, knowing the genre of a book affects the way we read it or what we expect it to tell us. Like We don't read poetry expecting us it to tell us about science, for example. And so, yeah, I think it is really important focusing on the genre of what we're reading, even in scripture. Right. I mean, I always like the example of you when you pick up a story that says once upon a time, it automatically sets rules. Mm-hmm you know what to expect in a once upon a time story, right? It's this kind of fairy tale, you know, there's going to be a princess and a prince. I mean, historically, that's what these stories have been about. And there's always, we even know the ending. What's it going to say at the end? And they lived happily ever after, right? But when you pick up a news story and you're, you know, you're reading something on CNN or Fox or whatever news outlet you read, you, you apply different rules to that. So narrative genres are super or genres are super important so of course in the bible there are so many i mean in the old testament we even hear it referred to as law wisdom and prophets or as jesus even shortened the law and the prophets what he was saying is the whole old testament but we can break that down into all these other subgenres similarly in the new testament we have gospel we have narrative, we have letters, a lot of letters that Paul wrote. We even have apocalyptic literature, something we don't read a lot today, but that's the book of Revelation, very symbolic, 
very prophetic. So the thing that I think is important for what we're talking about here is the overarching genre. What binds it all together? And it really is narrative or story. So narrative in the Bible really plays kind of a, a special privileged place as a governing genre. Everything kind of falls underneath that narrative. And it actually shapes the way that we interpret the Bible is knowing that that's the overarching genre. That framework situates and contextualizes all the rest of scripture. With narrative being this primary genre, I think it's really interesting, actually, because we don't necessarily see narrative as didactic. So what do you, you say, Dave, is it might look like for us to apply narrative as we're reading through the scripture and discovering that so much of it is story with the good, the bad, the crazy? What does that look like in applying it to our lives today? Yeah, that question's really important. And that word didactic, for those who don't know, is very direct teaching, kind of a, a real easy to follow prescription or command, right? That, that it's very clear to know how to apply. You know, it's interesting for us pragmatic Christians, a lot of us that are part of traditions that really like that. It's all about how we apply. It's all about how we apply. I think your question is really important because it's not as easy to just apply narrative. But narrative, as we've talked about, orients us. It grounds us. It shapes us. It teaches us how to think. It aligns us. It it has all these other functions that are very application-oriented if we're really concerned about that. And I think we're going to get into that even in today's episode and next week's episode as we start looking at, it's not just about the story we tell ourselves, but practically what does that mean for us? So I think that's going to be a really good thing for us to kind of unpack in these next couple episodes. So part of what's powerful about the Bible as a whole and this meta narrative that we're talking about is there are these kind of great hymns that are part of the tradition. And when we look at Israel's history and how they tell their story, right? We have to remember they, they weren't walking around with scrolls <laughs> as they're wandering the desert or as they're moving in and out of <laughs> no the promised land or, Bible app. you know, the, <laughs> they don't have the Version <laughs> Bible app. Exactly. And so the way that these stories got maintained was what's called oral tradition. They would tell each other stories to remember the saving acts of their God, Yahweh. And we see that there are these great hymns. Now there's, you know, we're going to, for those of our listeners who are watching this on YouTube, this is going to be a normal feature of our podcast. We're going to put up slides that show things that I think will help unpack or explain or illustrate even some of the things we're talking about. So here's a list of 10 of the great hymns, and eight of these 10 great hymns are in the Old, Older Testament to kind of spill their way into the Lucan narrative. But in these great hymns, they're kind of snippets of how Israel would tell the story of the work of God in their life as a people. So, you know, in Exodus 15, we have this story called the Song of the Sea, and it talks about things like Yahweh. Now, just to remember, I think we talked about this in our last episode, but there's kind of two ways that God is referred to in the Old Testament. Primarily, it's God 
as in the great God, the one God, and then Yahweh, which is the personal name of God, which often gets translated as Lord in uh, our, our English Bibles. But Yahweh is, you know, in this song, my strength, my power, my salvation, my God, my ancestor's God. So we tell this personal side to these stories that help connect it to our own faithfulness. These stories communicate that Yahweh is dominant in power, that shatters the enemy, has power over creation and enemies. There's this great sense of relational loyalty bound up in these stories that really is about being present to each other, that God always acts, Yahweh acts to bring us into Yahweh's presence. And that, that relationship, that safety, that salvation that's provided is that kind of thread that we see in Judges 5, in the Song of Deborah, in Deuteronomy 32 and 33, in the Song and Blessing of Moses, we see the same thing. In fact, Hannah, maybe you could read this, these two verses in Deuteronomy 32. I love the way that this captures God's action in the story or Yahweh's action in the story with his people. It communicates this meta narrative in these kind of two succinct mm-hmm. passages. Can you read those two verses? God found Israel in a wild land, in a howling desert wasteland. He protected him, cared for him, watched over him with his very own eye. Like an eagle protecting its nest, hovering over its young, God spread out his wings, took hold of Israel, carried him on his back. Yeah, those are all the key pieces, right? The saving act of Yahweh, how Yahweh discovers us in this you know, place where we're lost, the wild land, howling desert, but it's this gracious, caring protection and, and grace that comes. It's personal, right? And, and we see imagery of a mother with its children, an eagle protecting its nest, hovering over the young. We see this sense of God's action, God's providence, that it's actually God that takes hold. It's actually God that carries us. So that is a, that's kind of the key things we see in these in the meta narrative, but then even in these stories as they're told in these mm. great hymns. This the kind of the overarching narrative I feel like is very glorious, and even this imagery you've just described is very beautiful. It's intimate. I think the challenge that some people might have is this might not always be the picture of God they receive in scripture. I think there are moments when we feel this kind of closeness, this maternal, paternal almost, and there are other times we view God and it doesn't feel that way. And I think even when we're talking about story, something we love about the stories we read or the movies we watch is kind of this tension in the story. There's the part where we feel like everything's falling apart and then and then it comes back at the end. And I think we enjoy it when we read it or watch it. But why in life? I think some people might ask, I've even heard people question, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Eden in the first place and kind of as this catalyst for the fall? What would you say to any of those kind of thoughts, Dave? Well, that's, I mean, that's the majority of the Bible. You're absolutely right. So you have this meta narrative that starts in the garden and ends in the garden, but let's not forget most of the story is the struggle. <laughs> it's all the things that happen between yeah. the garden that, that is like 98% of the narrative. 
which is, I mean, e- even the very, the very name that Yahweh gives his people, Israel, means he who struggles and overcomes. The whole thing is about the yeah. struggle. So we start in the garden. We have this image of the garden. We, we know that we'll end in the garden back in the image, or not the image, back in the intimacy with God. But most of the stories in the wilderness, most of the stories, the struggle. Mm. And so I think that is important to remember that it isn't just about the mountaintop experiences. I mean, you can break that down into all kinds of sub little stories. I mean, you look at Israel, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Then you look at Moses himself. I mean, Moses's life story, which if we follow the Acts 7 Stephen narrative, he lived to be about 120 years old, and it kind of breaks into these 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. First 40 years, he's raised in Pharaoh's palace. Second 40 years, he's a shepherd in the wilderness, working his own stuff out. Then he comes back and he spends 40 more years. I mean, 80 of his 120 years were in the wilderness. (laughs) That's more normal life, right? So we've got to remember that this you know, this image of the meta narrative is just the bookends. Right. <laughs> and there's a lot more to it. So this other part you asked, which is important, why the tree? Why the tree in the garden of, the go- of, of good and evil in the garden in the first place? The tree has to be there. The tree has to be there if we have free will. We have to be able to choose to disobey if we're going to choose love, because otherwise it's not love. And so I think the whole idea that we see in the, this big picture narrative again is Israel's choice to follow and not to follow. What happens when they do? What happens when they don't? So the tree represents that symbolically that, that yes, you can be in that intimate space with God and sometimes you're not and you have that choice and that choice has consequence. Mm. There's a great epic poem written by John Milton on on the fall. It's called Paradise Lost. And there's a verse I've always liked where he says that God created man sufficient to have stood, though free to fall. And I like the idea of even in the tree being there, there's there's an element of of love even in that, in the choice that's given to us. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So when we talk about the Bible as a story. Maybe there's kind of three components that I think are important for us to touch on here as we bring this episode in for a landing, which is the Bible story as spiritual. The Bible story is normative. The Bible story is a mosaic. I think those kind of give us some good framework. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. So part of the Bible story being spiritual is to to have the right expectations and ask the right questions about what it is and what it isn't. In other words, the Bible was never intended to be a scientific or or even a traditional history book the way that we tend to read history books in our history classes. It was a spiritual story with spiritual implications, and it uses spiritual tools and metaphor. And as we talked about icon and imagery, in a lot of ways, the Bible functions as this window into these deep spiritual truths that we need to know and understand. So even when we ask questions of the Bible, we have to not ask questions. Well, we can ask them. We're not going to find the answers for the how and when questions. It's not like, well, how did creation really happen? That's not what the Bible's trying to do. 
when did the when creation ha- it's not what the bible's trying to do what the bible is trying to do is it's trying to say who and why so the emphasis is on relationship and purpose and meaning not on understanding scientific or historical detail would you suggest then dave that we know we spoke about maybe our emphasis on application is maybe too heavy how would you suggest we sit with scripture then if the focus is not how do i apply this to my life i think it's application all over the place but it's how we do it i think we actually limit the bible's power when we try to read it and apply it in this literal the bible says it so i do it we miss massive elements of the power of it so that ties into a lot of what I think we're going to get into over the next few years together is interpretation or what's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is this idea of how do we interpret. And we really, when we get caught up in literalism, we actually undermine its power. The stories in the Bible are windows into the truths of the cosmos, the, the deepest things of God, the mysteries of God. And, and words never do justice to the, this magnitude of God and our spiritual lives. So these stories in some ways are bigger than just history, right? They are mythic in nature, even though they're true. And so that more than true concept is important for us. So when we talk about an uh, application, it's not just about applying a moral value it's about shaping the orientation and posture of our life and again we'll get into a lot of that i think in the next episode when we talk about spirituality how why spirituality is so important in relation to the story because it's it's much bigger than a moral code it's much bigger than a community you're part of it's much bigger than those things and we have to be able to give language to that this is a complete reorientation of life that we're being called into. So yeah, the Bible story is spiritual, and we have to remember that, that, that these are spiritual lenses that we have to apply. The Bible's story is also very normative. You know, we talk about the Bible as the canon, or that the Bible is canonized. And that word's important. It's the rule or the norm. One of my favorite phrases about the Bible that's been around a long time is in Latin, but it captures the spirit and heart of how important the Bible is for us as Christians. And that Latin statement is norma normans non normata. It's a tongue twister, right? Uh, What that's Latin for is the norm of norms that is not normed. In other words, the Bible is intended to have the highest place of guidance in our life and it norms all other norms it is the standard it is the rule it is what we look to that is not normed in other words there's nothing higher than it as an authority of course god you know it god's it's god's word that's captured in all of that so with that in mind dave what place then do you think scripture should have for us just in our daily lives Yeah, I think it places it in the highest space. So this is when we talk about having a high view of Scripture, Scripture has the highest space of authority and guidance and direction in our life. It holds these eternal truths that we 
have to live our whole lives and orient our whole lives by. And I think that's the power of this, that we want it to have all the dimensions and life and all the things that God intends for it to be. Which actually leads to this kind of last point that's important that the Bible story is also a mosaic. I think we limit we limit the power of scripture when we call it a jigsaw puzzle. I used to use the concept of jigsaw puzzle when I used to teach biblical interpretation as if it just all fit together and it made this nice tidy little puzzle. It's just, it doesn't. It's just not this neat, tidy little thing that we can line up. There was even a, a theologian in the second century named Tatian, who Tatian was famous for trying to take the four gospels and to piece them together in this jigsaw puzzle-like fashion. But it just doesn't work that way. There's a reason we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John because these artist renditions, these beautiful paintings of the life of Jesus and the gospel are meant to do what artist renditions do, which is to elicit the imagination to draw us into something more powerful and more profound even than the actual historical story itself. And I think that's that's important. So I think the Bible really a better analogy than a jigsaw puzzle is a mosaic. A mosaic is it you get all these little images that paint this bigger image together and it works in this beautiful way together. So it's meant to be taken together. And I think that's that's important for us to remember as we're exploring this whole mm. thing. It's so. definitely not neat, but beautiful in its own way too. Thomas Hardy is actually one of the writers I studied in my master's degree. He's a Victorian author who grappled with his faith too, but he was a masterful storyteller. And in his diary in the 1800s, he wrote about the power of Bible stories and biblical narrative. And he writes that they are written with a watchful attention, though disguised as to their effect on the reader. Their so-called simplicity is, in fact, the simplicity of the highest cunning. I think that is the genius I see reading the Bible. These simple stories actually have profound meanings and draw us in to discover what they are and also invite us to participate in the story too. Thank you everyone for yeah, that's for beautiful. joining us this week. And we'll see you back next week as we discuss the topic of spirituality. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm way down here, I get a better view of this boundless world.